everyone, and welcome to On the Corner. I am your, uh, I guess, co-host, guest, I don't know, today joining Nick Pollock. I am Pete Ball of the Keep or Cut podcast. I'm excited to be on here with Nick. This has become kind of like a yearly ritual now. I think this is my third or fourth year in a row of recording with you about this uh, this mock draft that we do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it feels like it is like the fourth year or something. Uh, what is happening? We have another mock draft podcast. And Pete, of course, has the host voice. You know it oh so well from Keeper Cut. And we are talking about your mock draft from October. And we've been doing these for, you know, I guess like two months now. It's been pretty fun to hear all the different opinions. And what's really nice, actually, is we have the initial takeaways, which is really good for um, those that are doing, say, NFBC drafts are just getting an early sense of it. And then what's really fun now is we have some more signings. We have some more news going around. We also, I mean, for myself, I don't know how you feel, but I've changed my tune on some players as well. And it's really fun to reflect back on this draft, even though it is about two months later. And we're going to talk about all uh, of your picks here today. Uh, just for to remind everybody, this is a Yahoo standard 12-teamer draft that is head-to-head 12 teams five by five stats your basic ones uh two utility spots three outfielders no middle infield no corner infield and nine pitcher spots otani is two separate players but that doesn't really matter i guess i don't know uh so pete you had the 10th pick in this draft did you choose out the 10th pick and do you like the 10th spot so uh, I don't, honestly, I don't remember. I, I I think I just put my name in and saw 10 was open. So I went for <laughs> it. Um, I think in the early going, no. I, I really like the top four players um, on my board because they're all outfield eligible. I guess it's five players. They're all outfield eligible, which I look at as like a, the, the thinnest position this year. I think most people kind of view it that way so far, um, other than catcher, obviously. And they all provide that stolen base plus power combo. And obviously, with my first pick, I was not able to lock up one of those guys. Gotcha. So, so yeah, you, uh, you actually pivoted in your first pick too, first two away from outfield. And as you went through this being the 10th spot, did you have a certain strategy going in? And if so, did that change as the draft went on? Um, I'd say at the start, I was, at the start of every draft is just best player available. I knew I wasn't going to go starting pitcher, even though it feels like the top, like that elite crust of starting pitchers is getting more and more thin um, mm-hmm. I still knew I wasn't going to, even if Strider was there, I wasn't going to take Strider. I wanted to see the look of my team, you know, with this being a mock draft by, you know, kind of waiting at least a few rounds to take my first starting pitcher. Um, I wanted like always with your first round pick to get a nice safe floor. And I think that's what I got here with Matt Olson. All right. Yeah. So Matt Olson was your first one. Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious why Matt Olson went here. You turned down, say like Trey Turner, Otani, um, Bryce Harper as others as well. Um, but 54 home runs, 139 RBI, 127 runs, 283 average. Obviously, the jump in average, we didn't really expect this much. Um, we knew he would hit a lot of home runs and get runs in RBI, and it's going to be Atlanta. And yeah, it seems like a pretty safe bet for a ton of production again. Yeah, I was I was excited to get him. Um, obviously, this is the highest he's ever gone in drafts, and, and he might not go this high ever again. Um, it was a career high Babbitt, which kind of explains that that high batting average that you were talking about. It also doesn't hurt that he had a career high in homers by like 15. So there's mm. 15 fly balls that were outs in other years that went over the fence this year. So um, that's obviously going to help the average. I don't expect him to be a contributor because a 283 average, I mean, that's an excellent. He's a contributor in that category. Right. I also don't think it's going to go back, though, to like 2022 where he was a 240 hitter. 
Um, I, I kind of expect him to be in that uh, 260 on the low end to, to 280 on the high end range. He was much more uh, patient at the plate. The walk rate was up about four percentage points. That helps too. Um, Steamer projects for 40 homers, over 210 combined runs in RBI, 269 average. Like th- to me, that's really conservative. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like the judge projections after his monster season. It was like, I mean, those numbers in a vacuum, they look amazing, but that's like a 20% decrease across the board for him. And what's crazy is even if he meets, if, if all he does is meet that like extremely low projection for him, I shouldn't say extremely, but that conservative projection for him, then like he's probably still worth this pick. Um, and I, I expect those that run plus RBI total again to be, to be kind of ridiculous. That lineup is just so good. Yeah, PLV projections, by the way, uh, version one is out. And if you're curious about that, uh, it's a completely different way than we did them last year. Um, last year, we used ATC as a backbone um, for our projections. Now it's completely in-house uh, with Kyle Bland and using PLV to make all of our projections this season. Version one is out. We will be slightly editing it um, through the next couple of months and it's available for PL Pro members. But it has Matt Olson at 110 runs, 38 home runs, 108 RBI with a 267 average. So pretty much what you're saying there. Um, and 38 home runs, I mean, sure, if you get that, you might be a little disappointed, I guess. But everything else there certainly uh, validates a first-round pick. Um, I'm going to move to the second round here to Jose Ramirez. Honestly, I, we, I talked to Aaron Savali last week. And, I, uh, you know, af- afterwards we were talking to Bay. He was just talking about how good of a hitter Jose Ramirez is. Just one of the, just thinks in a different way than everyone else in the majors. Um, and it doesn't really surprise me considering how consistent he has been at the third base position. Did you feel an urge to get Jose just because he was the best player on the board or more that, hey, third base might get pretty thin the next time it comes around? Yeah, it wasn't a positional thing, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. I think third base is a lot deeper this year than it appeared last year. I mean, and we always, you know, we can get this stuff wrong all the time. Like last year, we were all panicking about third base. It ended up great. And so going into drafts this year, it looks great. So it wasn't really a positional thing for me. Um, I think people that he went number one overall in quite a few drafts last year. And yeah. if you took him number one overall, you you were disappointed. I mean, he, he did yeah. not produce like a number one overall player, which explains why he's now going in the second. Um to be honest, looking at the combinations I could have had, if you told me Juan Soto was going to be available in the second and that he was going to be a New York Yankee, then <laughs> I may have I may have taken Trey Turner in the first to get those stolen bases, and then I would have taken Juan Soto in the second. And send I up, mm. uh, I end up with the Olsen and Ramirez combo. But um, I I think Ramirez is still great. Like if people are worried that he's aging, well, two things I'd look at are, you know, what's what's his average exit velocity? Is that going down? Is he getting a little slower on the ball? Um, and what's his strikeout rate? Well, he posted a career high average exit velocity and his second best career K rate. So I like he's not having trouble that like you, you would typically see from a player who's aging um, 24 homers, 28 steals. I needed the steals after missing out on those elite stolen base producers in the first. So um, I was pretty, pretty happy to get Joe Ram here, even though, you know, that other combo, I think I would have preferred, but it's an interesting debate. Yeah. One of the things about Jose Ramirez that's always been kind of annoying is uh it's a little inconsistent during the year every time. I always feel like there's hot and cold seasons with him. His decision values certainly showcase that. Uh, Jose Ramirez had a really good middle. It's kind of like a bell curve of performance in that way. And power kind of goes up and down. But the thing he's always good at is always going to be contactability. Um, and because of that, I do think that Jose Ramirez just in general um, will be a producer because he's going to put a ton of balls in play. He does not strike out a lot at all. 
Uh, and that means he has a lot more in play. And a lot of times that comes with a good power too. So uh, our projections have him around 28 home runs, I believe it is. Uh, 27 home runs, 21 stolen bases, 281 average, and of course about 190 combined runs in RBI. Seems great to me still. Uh, obviously, it's not the uh, you know, blown away of Julio Rodriguez of 30-30 or Bobby Witt of 27-41 or something like that. Still very solid, and it's a good floor as well. I, I can see myself easily going Jose Ramirez at that point. Just seems incredibly safe. I'm going to talk about your third pick here, uh, Randy Rosarena. Um, you're talking about being very thin at outfield. And Randy had a very solid season, very similar to Jose Ramirez with 23 home runs and 22 stolen bases, but a little bit more of a dip in average at 254. Uh, were you really hoping to get Randy here? Uh, you know, in retrospect, I actually wish I took Michael Harris. Um, oh, interesting. I was kind of, I was kind of going back and forth on that. Ultimately, I guess I'm okay with Randy because that combined run and RBI total that we've, we've talked about for quite a few players now mm-hmm. is so important. I think his is going to be substantially higher than Michael Harris is just because of where Harris bats in the lineup. But I think player for player, I, I'd rather have Harris. Um, I mean, you kind of nailed it. He's similar to Joe Ram, but in the outfield, his, his strikeout rate's a lot higher though. And that explains mm-hmm. why he's going to bat for such a lower average. Not a flashy guy, you know, the, the K rate's teetering on the, on the side of bad quite often, but, um, and, and in a head to head, when you have a K rate that high, there's going to be some weeks where he might just kill me, but he might get traded somewhere that could actually boost his value. He was, he was marginally better on the road, which makes sense. That's a tough place to play in Tampa Bay. So, um, I, this was more just a, I got to start tackling outfield early. There's a guy who can give me, you know, basically four of the five categories. So I'm going to go with him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, uh... Yeah, I mean, no, no real problems there about Randy Rosarena. Uh, it seems, again, pretty pretty safe. And you know me, I like safe players. Um, and pretty similar stuff, 22-18 uh, for home runs and stolen bases for our projections for him. And yeah, it's really fun. I can reference these. If you want to see these all on your own, guys, uh, you should be getting PL Pro. There is a discount, I think, right now, 25% off if you use code SANDY25. SANDY25 for a PL Pro yearly. Go check it out. You get access to my uh, rotation articles as well. And now you finally went starting pitching. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. It took you so <laughs> long. Just kidding. I uh, And this, I'll be honest with you. I was so shocked that this run of pitchers um, lasted as long as it did. Um, Strider, Cole, and Gosman were off the board um, before the, really the start of the third round or so. Um, and then it was just nothing. Third round was just all hitters. Where Zach Gallen, Zach Wheeler, Luis Castillo, Corbin Burns were the first four picks of the fourth and you got Luis Castillo there as the sixth starter overall. You must have been happy with that one. Yeah, I, I definitely was. Um, you know, it, most projection systems have him over 190 innings pitched with 200 Ks. Well, at least the ones that have been been released. I'm sure the PL Pro one is probably somewhere in that ballpark. And not a lot of these guys are out there. You know, the ones that are going to post those strikeout numbers in those inning pitch totals. As a matter of fact, I mean, Castillo was one of eight to do it. Pablo Lopez, Garrett Cole, Zach Callen, Luis Castillo, Zach Wheeler, Mitch Keller, Aaron Nola, and Corbin yeah. Burns were the eight names to reach 190 innings and 200 strikeouts. If you want to limit that further to guys who had an ERA under 3.5 and those numbers, then the list is just five names. It's Cole, Gallen, Castillo, Valdez, and Burns. Um, Cole and Gallen were off the board at this point, like you said. Valdez turned into a pumpkin in the second half last year with an ERA over four and a half. So mm-hmm. I mean, that that left Castillo and Burns. Burns went the next pick, like you said. I mean, his velocity and strikeout numbers, um, it's kind of been jumping all over the place really since, I don't know, the second half of 2022. 
Um, so I felt a little bit more comfortable taking Castillo. Burns might also end up in you know Fenway or Yankee Stadium, and that's not going to do things for, good things for his ERA. That would kick him out of that uh, sub three and a half group, I would think, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Castillo, I, I liked a little bit more there, well, but it's close. Yeah, I think I still have Burns as my SP5. Um, Castillo is my SP4 uh, because he has such a good re- uh, foundation in that four-seamer. 20% swing strike rate to right-handers is stupid good. Um, generally when you look at pitchers, if they struggle against right-handers, then they're going to have a bad time. <laughs> I mean, even if you're good against lefties, it's great, but the more common one is, is right-handers. And if you can have a fastball that misses, you know, that induces swing strikes 20% of the time against them, like it's, that's it. That's all you really need. Also, the slider is elite against right-handers. The biggest question is more against left-handers and he had, he shifted more to sliders again, which is a cool thing. But he left it in the danger zone that is down and inside the zone uh, for uh, for lefties and needs to get underneath more. Um, the changeup did help a bit with that, but it's not quite the old uh, changeup that is always there, as Pablo would say. So, um, yeah, I would, you know, I'm a big fan of Castillo. I think the situation's great. His health is great. His track record of just going 32 starts consistently for Hopefully a winning team for Seattle. I don't know what that offense is, um, but he should get double-digit wins. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a great situation for Luis Castillo. So big fan there. Um, fourth round, I'd say, is a seal of approval for me for Luis Castillo. I think that's great. Sweet. Um, First one. All right. Uh, Tyler Glasnow isn't, though. But I mean, oh, I get what? it. Yeah, well, you had George Kirby in the board, so I'm not, not going to acknowledge this. Okay. Um, sorry. Uh, this is also before the Dodgers deal. Um and I don't, you know, I want to say that it does help Tyler Glasnow going to the Dodgers. I'm not quite sure. I'm curious what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I, I, I think the difference will be pretty negligible, right? The big thing with Glasnow, and this is not earth-shattering news to anybody, is health. Like, if he's healthy for the Rays, he's going to be amazing. If he's now healthy for the Dodgers, he's going to be amazing. It's just, is he going to be healthy? Um, right. I thought with the safe floor that Castillo gives me, that like Glass now is a nice ace pairing there. I'm still getting a little bit of a safe floor. I've got Castillo in the bag for you know every week. I'm going to have him. Glass now when healthy. I mean, he's just unbelievable. If you lower the threshold to 120 innings pitched, which is exactly what Glass now <laughs> got, by the way, in a career yeah. high, um, which is kind of <laughs> sad, then he was second in K per nine behind Strider. He was third in FIP. He was first in XFIP. Eighth in ground ball rate, which gets me excited. I love when my pitchers keep the ball on the ground. I don't. I, I go back and forth on that one. You want to? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the guys that have through. the elite ground ball rates are not always great for your team, right? So well, like it's those, like Keuchel, uh, Stroman. Um, he just jumped to the absolute worst ones. Well, yes, those are the main <laughs> ones you think of. I mean, sure, Logan Webb does well with it, but. That's Eldest. part of the reason why yeah. his whip is never going to be like a 105 or something. It's going to be like a 115 more like because grounders at the end of the day allow more hits and it's very dependent on your defense. Now, the Dodgers defense fan of their infield defense, I think I should be. I I don't know where actually I stand on that at the moment, but uh, grounders to me are much more dependent on the team behind them than they are actually just is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's all. Just want to interject on that one. No, I, it, it's a totally fair point. I mean, it, we we see with ground ball pitchers, they do tend to have higher whips. They do allow more guys on base. But as long as those guys aren't coming around to score, you know, then then the ERA is going to be there, and I'll, I'll figure out whip later. Um, I, I think with fly ball pitchers, I, I guess the potential outcomes for fly ball pitchers versus ground ball pitchers are so drastically different because a fly ball pitcher, if he's really good, like mm-hmm. Garrett Cole, you know, then 
we're talking number one pitcher in baseball upside. But if it's like Lucas Giolito, where, you know, one year he's not giving up a mountain of home runs and those fly balls are all turning into outs, but that can turn on a dime where now those fly balls are going over the fence and his ERA is up over five. So um, it's an interesting debate, but I think I err on the side of, of high ground ball rate guys. And that last stat that I wanted to throw out there, second in strikeout rate behind Spencer Strider. So, I mean, he was like first or second in so many important categories. It's just like, dude, give me more starts. That's all I want. You know what's really funny? Um, you're going to laugh at this. You know who has the 100th percentile fly ball rate on their four-seamer? And the second second percentile ground ball rate on their four-seamer? Uh, they throw it 44% of the time. I, I couldn't even fathom. Luis guess. Castillo. I Ah, okay. See, well, now <laughs> I, I want to balance them out. <laughs> that's all. I just think it's interesting. Uh, and yeah, you can make now, an argument like, cool, there you go. There's that. That's the flaw in him. 13 home runs last year for Luis Castillo. That could be part of the problem. Um, it's hard to see that, by the way, when it's a 12% homer fly ball rate, but when you have so many fly ball rates, it's not. So we're mm-hmm. the homer per nine, and that was one, two, eight for Luis Castillo last year. I think that's because of the, the, the more four seamers, but that's kind of fine. That's league average. Just, a, just throwing it out there. Um, but I, I do completely understand the idea of, um, the big, the big push against grounders. Um, I think it was actually Andrew Perpetua was, was talking to me about this. Um, I generally don't like the fact of being a ground ball guy, but I do like being a ground ball guy who also gets whiffs. That's the difference for me from like the names I was giving of like Stroman and Keiko. And I was like, well, Logan Webb too. Well, Logan Webb's able to get some whiffs with his changeup here and there. Um, and Glasnow, I don't know if he gets whiffs. I'm just kidding. Uh, he does get some surprisingly fewer on his fastball than you'd expect. Um, it's 11.7% swing strike rate, which is 74th percentile for four seamers among starting pitchers, which is above average. But this is Glasnow. This isn't just, you're not right. supposed to be just like there. You're supposed to be, wait, don't you throw this ridiculous fastball? Um, it's because he doesn't locate well. He just kind of chucks. He's very much a north south guy. And Glasnow has this slider that really is everything to him. I mean, this is the pitch that gets him strikes, that keeps him around, essentially. Um, and the curveball that everyone wants to talk about, to me, is kind of silly because, yeah, it's going to have these ridiculous marks of an X average of 118. Because what does he do? He throws it 61% of the time in a two-strike count. Like, of course, he's going to have a low X average because it's going to be strikeouts all the time. And he doesn't throw it in walks, which is behind is just 1.2% of the time, which doesn't even include three ball counts. Oh, it does, but then there's, sorry, non-three ball counts in there too. So to me, it's like Glasnow is more volatile than I want to say that he is. And at the same time, he also has had like 33% strike rates, as you mentioned, right? So um, he's going to be great when he pitches for you. The question is how long? And going to the Dodgers, I wonder if the Dodgers are going to slow him down just so that they can save him from the playoffs. And for your head-to-head leagues, like that. head-to-head leagues, I normally don't. I say don't focus on September, but man, I have a terrible feeling that like Glasnow is just not going to do a whole lot in September for the Dodgers. And I know that's a silly thing, and like really shouldn't be the deal breaker for you, but I don't know. I also think that George Kirby is going to be like the best pitcher in baseball. Um, so that's wow. fine. Yeah, and, uh, I mean that's just kind of me being me. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, Glasnow versus everyone else, say for Kirby, we have Scoobal going, Steele, Luzardo, Freed, Peralta, Grace Rodriguez, etc. Yeah, I would rather have Glasnow. So I'm not, you know, uh, you don't get a seal of approval, though, because I'm like, I don't know how much I want this. 
But yeah, he'll help your team. I should like him more. <laughs> mm, it's just it's just the innings. I don't know the health. I just don't know the health and how many innings he's going to get. And it's so annoying as a manager to deal with that. I felt like he was hurt a lot last year and he still met his innings pitched like his highest total ever. 21 so, starts. Yeah, that's, that's it. So I totally understand it. it the, the upside for me is just too tantalizing. Yeah, it's fifth round. OK, yeah, I, I get it. Uh, I truly didn't. There's the argument of like it's a 12 team or so whoever you replace with Glasnow is a higher replacement value. Thus, it's you're better off chasing it. Sure. <sighs> Just don't do it in your 15s. OK, um, Brian Reynolds is your f- sixth round pick. And we're going to talk about him after this break. So, Brian Reynolds, you were talking about, hey, outfield is thin. You said, look, I got my two stars I really like. And I'm going to get my second outfielder now because I do not want to deal with the guys later on. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly what this was. This was an outfield panic pick. I'm not a huge Brian Reynolds guy. The next outfielder to go was Nick Castellanos in the ninth round. And this was, what did you say, in the sixth round? So like there was clearly a drop-off coming at outfield. The next three after Castellanos, uh, Riley Green, Anthony Santander, and Evan Carter, they were all in the 10th round. They didn't even go in the ninth. So... It did feel like Reynolds was the end of a tier here. And uh, although he's, he comes with his flaws and the team context sucks, I mean, this is a guy who is a potential five-category upside player. Um, the average was low last year at 263. Well, low for him at 263. But his expected batting average was 280. So I'm not going to hold that against him just yet. He got 12 steals. And maybe more importantly, he was only caught once. So he seems to be taking advantage of those, those new rules. And despite the crappy Pirates offense, I mean, he was... He was one shy of meeting a combined run and RBI total of 170. And he was contributing just about dead evenly in both of those categories. So he does feel like a five category player, um, a perfectly suitable outfielder two in a 12 team league and um, be a full season of O'Neill Cruz. We get a, a step forward from Henry Davis, Andrew McCutcheon's back, although I'm not sure that really matters, but it is the Pirates people. I mean, come on, <laughs> you got to be excited about Andrew McCutcheon. There uh, you go. Yeah. Maybe more opportunities for him to contribute and, maybe get to that hundred run mark or something like that. Yeah. The thing that um, I talk about a lot is, or at least I try to mention a lot in these off season pods is generally offenses with young teams that are bad. The previous year are better the next year, not exceptional, but just not the worst offense in baseball. Right. And I think of like the Detroit Tigers, I generally think that they're going to be a little bit better. The pirates are actually a really exciting offense at the beginning of the year. Um, and then it fell off a bit and maybe they find more momentum this year. Maybe O'Neill Cruz coming back. Is that jolt, right? Um, so uh, there could be more of a supporting cast around uh, Brian Reynolds, who still put up 170 runs in RBI combined last year. And our projections have Reynolds at a 92 and 83 there with a 25 and 10, 262 average. I think that's really the biggest question for me is a guy like Reynolds, who is just kind of helping in everything. If he doesn't have that average too, then it just feels a little empty. Um you know, you feel like that's the foundation and then everything else is the bonus. Um, sure. But uh, but he's still somewhat young. And I imagine that he's what he's got. Uh, is this his last year or is it the next year? I think it's this is his last year, correct? Um, I thought he signed reason? an extension. Maybe with them. two. Um, oh, right. Uh, so never mind. But uh, yeah, he got but Reynolds. the Pirates too. My God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Brian Reynolds pretty safe here. And again, as you're mentioning, the other options are not really the ones that you wanted to go for instead. Um, so Cattell Marte is next, who mm. uh, unfortunately is, I mean, I don't know. I'm not really going to talk about it here 
uh, came out that he had an Instagram reel of him um, at an event in the DR that is illegal here in the US. Don't really know what's going to come of that. But all of that aside, uh, 94 runs, 82 RBI, 25 home runs, 8 stolen bases, 276 average last year. Finally woke up after years of, we don't really know what's going on. He was hurt in 2021 a bit, was looking good and didn't really work out in 2020, uh, sorry, 2021. But 2022, just uh, 240 average, 12 home runs in 550 plate appearances. Then he woke up a bit last year. What do you see for Cattell Marte now? Yeah, I mean, you look at the top four second baseman, right? Mookie Betts, Marcus Semien, Ozzy Albies, and who am I missing there? Jose Altuve. That's like a very clear top four. I don't really see a reason why Cattell Marte can't be the fifth best second baseman in, in baseball, uh, at least in fantasy baseball next season. It's just, it's what you said. It's the inconsistency. And and even in those down seasons, you still like saw it. You could still see like, man, Cattell Marte could still be so freaking good. Like yeah. the, the max EV is always there. He hits the crap out of the ball. He has excellent plate discipline, um, really solid quality of contact. So maybe it's finally coming together. He pulls the ball quite a bit. He hits the ball in the air quite a bit. Obviously, that's, that's the combo you want to see, particularly for a second baseman. I think he should out homer your average fantasy second baseman by quite a bit. Um, that, you know, is second base, I'm not as afraid of this season as, as in many, many years past, but it still felt good to get a guy who I, I do think could finish. And you know what? I'll, I'll say it. He'll finish as the fifth best second baseman in 2024. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see that. Um, as you're mentioning, really with uh, second baseman being thin, I probably would go Glaber Torres, honestly. I feel like it's, mm-hmm. it's a better lineup now. He's also showcasing contract year, and I do think contract years are generally good. Um, and the Yankees are going to lean on him a good amount this year. Um, with the volatility of Marte, I just feel weird about it. I've also seen him go in these, uh, he's had these mental funks of just bad decisions a lot. And, uh, it, it worries me a little with him while I feel like labor is like, this is what I do. I'm good at this. I've improved. I'm going to be free, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, they were like right neck and neck and such. And, you know, if you want to lean a bit more stolen bases, I understand with Cattell Marte. I believe that's right. I, that Cattell Marte should have more. It's eight stolen bases are projected for us, for him. In Torres, it is 11. I take that back. Um, but the average is the, is the one that is projected higher for us. So something to consider there. Probably more runs as well than Torres very closely. So um, we're going to move on to your next pick. That is Zach Eflin in the eighth round. Tell me about Zach Eflin here. Yeah, man, what a what a season. And this is a great example of a player who, when we're drafting in October, I really had no idea what to do with uh, with Zach Eflin. Um, and so I just went for him. I, Glass now, obviously, as we talked about, gives me quite a bit of risk at my SP2. Um, I figured if I had Eflin and Luis Castillo, though, I have I, Glass now is pretty insulated at that point, and I can just bank on upside. Um, with Eflin, I mean... That previously mentioned list of starters uh, where the, the qualifications were 200 strikeouts, 190 innings pitched, and less than three and a half ERA. Uh, that only had five people in it. Eflin, if he essentially made two more starts, would have been one of the people in that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's about 14 strikeouts and 13 innings pitched short. Um, he did make 31 starts. And I think, you know, the last few seasons going back and forth, starter, reliever, um, maybe that's why the innings pitched weren't quite there. Um, but I, and, and I, I, he was hurt for a little bit, if I remember correctly last year, maybe not. Um, but bottom line, the home park's great. Uh, the wind potential is pretty solid. He, he is a horse, did make the 31 starts. Like I said, 
So uh, knowing Glass now will miss time, like it, I don't think anybody's expecting Glass now to make 31 starts next year. I like having such a safe floor surrounding him. But um, you know, in retrospect, looking at how things have gone, like this may have been a reach. This isn't a player with a very long track record of success. It's just this is what drafting in October sometimes does. Yeah, it's it's so interesting uh, with Zach Eflin. Um, he showed up with an elite cutter, and I'm like, wait, wait hold on a second. We went to the Rays. Um, I, I didn't put enough weight on Eflin going to the Rays and I've really, I don't know. I, I've battled a lot with this internally about when pitchers change teams, how much weight should I actually be giving of just expected development because of it? Um, and I couldn't just say like, cool, he's going to get a new cutter. That's the hardest thing for me to do. There are certainly times where I can see a guy is moving just somewhere else and we say, okay. I know what changes should be made and I expected this organization not to implement it, but I expect this implement uh, this organization to implement it, right? And that makes more sense and that's easier for me to grasp onto it. I'm trying to start a whole thing internally of if they are anyway decent already <laughs> and then go to a team like the Dodgers or the Rays or the Astros, you should feel good about it. And I don't know if there really are any other clubs that I would say that about. Like, I don't, I don't want to say the Yankees. Uh, I would say if they're on a horrible team, maybe, but uh, maybe for relievers. But mm-hmm. for starters, I don't really know. Um, I don't want to say the Mets. I don't want to say, I'm sorry, the Red Sox, but no. Nope, uh, definitely I, not. Please <laughs> no. Atlanta, not really. Uh, I, I'm running out of teams here. The Padres, maybe. The Padres, maybe. I actually do think they have a good system there. Um, but those are the major three. And my point is, I should have given more credence to Eflin moving to uh, Tampa Bay. Um, that said, I mean, he really peaked in everything. It's really kind of wild to me. Um, he also did this really cool thing where his four-seamer shape is not good. It's something I've been really getting into this this offseason. I'm kind of upset at myself that it took me as long as I did to get into understanding four-seamers as much as I am now. Thank you, Kyle Bland, for making the perfect app for me to understand the information very quickly. And he does not have a good fastball shape, Zach Eflin's four-seamer, but he uses in two-strike counts and elevates it as a surprise pitch, and it works. And it's a perfect example of the stuff not necessarily being so good, but the command being good, like in approaches being good, that it makes something out of nothing, and it squeezes the most out of it. And that's really exciting for me. Um, the curveball is obviously a very good pitch. I often would confuse like Morden and Eflin in my head. I don't know if you've done that before. That's but like a big it's a great curveball. And they both have like a cutter, you know. The cutters just happens to be better for Eflin. Um the thing is, I I think the strikeouts are gonna fall a bit. I think he really pushed a little too much. This is like the peak of a lot of things. And I I think the ERA that was eventually like three five probably is closer to four as things don't go as perfectly. Um, there were times that he had that amazing cutter and then it just kind of went away for a bit and what? Okay, never mind. And the whip should probably go up from like a 102, right? I mean, it, it's not hard for me to say all those things. I will also throw in there is a series of just random injuries for Eflin through his career thus far. It's not as, um, you know, uh, decorated of a history as Tyler Glasnow, but I think we were all surprised to see about 180 innings from Eflin this past year. And I don't want that all of a sudden become the new norm and we should expect that whatsoever. I also would anticipate that the Rays would probably see something and then limit that and then frustrate all of us too. 
So it all kind of adds up to Eflin being a solid play that I like, and I've actually moved up my ranks. Like I see Framber Valdez there. I'm like, no, I want Eflin instead of that. Uh, I see Lozardo oh, wow. and Steele and go, no way. I want Eflin instead of those guys. Um, but I'd rather have Yamamoto, who went after. I'd rather have Joe Musgrove, I think. Uh, maybe not Joe Mus- Musgrove. I'm warming back up to Cole Reagans. I know that sounds like a weird phrase for me to say. I was so in on him. And then I was like, okay, I need to like swing the other way to make sure that I'm you know, whatever. But like, no, I absolutely love Cole Reagans. Um, and then Bobby Miller, I, t- I still see at the end of the ninth. Like, I don't understand how I let that one go. Um, I might actually have Kyle Bradish above Eflin. I've warmed up to him. Wow. Um, so by, I know by that, then you have... have. This is why you guys got to read my uh, rotation breakdowns. I'm telling you right now, uh, that is the most in-depth I go on starters um, in one thing. And it's pretty much a full going deep piece truncated in like three paragraphs. <laughs> and you get a GIF and a table of stats. Um, so what but, yeah, I see Eflin like Bradish kind of around the same kind of thing. And I think it's a solid play in the eighth, in, uh, eighth inning, eighth round. <laughs> Eighth inning, eighth round, whatever. Yeah, it's um, fine. Uh, what I took from that is that you are not a big Fram- Framber Valdez person. No. Okay. Absolutely Interesting. Not. What drives me nuts, uh, you know, one of the most wonderful feelings in the world is talking about a pitcher with, with you know, someone brings up a pitcher and you both say the same thing at the same time. And it was, he stopped throwing the cutter. <laughs> and we just didn't understand it. And I still don't get it. And... Framber Valdez throws a sinker that just gets hit too hard all the time. The rule of thumb with sinkers is you do not throw them to opposite handed batters. You don't. The only time you can is the, the upper echelon of command guys like Greg Maddox, who can actually spot that as a front hip and land it just inside the zone, not back over the plate enough to the middle or even like third. You got to really like dot that thing on the black. Because otherwise, it just gets they stay in on it and they crush that thing. And the Valdez doesn't do that. <laughs> no, he's never uh, had that kind of control. And the thing is, the cutter is the nullifier. You've got the thing, but instead, Valdez has been using it to lefties more, and as like a slider essentially. And it just it boggles the mind, <laughs> drives me bonkers. Um, I don't I don't love it at all. And sure. I, yeah, I, I, I hate it. <laughs> so, so Valdez doesn't have enough of a whiff uh, approach with this too much with that sinker. And I think it creates volatility that I just don't want to endure with Valdez. Eflin, I feel like the whole floor and approach is just way more solid and consistent. There you go. Uh, Camilo Duvall, ninth round. You got your first closer. And I got to say, this was a learning experience, I think, for all of us when it comes to closers. This is what I'm used to. Like back in the day, you know, 2012 or something like that, when I was drafting closers in my fantasy leagues, this is always where closers would go. It would be like ninth, 10th, ninth through 12th rounds. And I think over the past like four years, they've been thrown up into like the fourth round a ton or like the six or something. And this year is weird because we actually have so many established closers for teams far, far earlier than usual. So that means that we saw so many go around the 10th, 11th, 12th round. And you saw an opportunity in the ninth round to get Camilo Duvall. What made you go for him instead of others? Yeah, I mean, Duvall's just been so solid in the Giants, despite their roster looking not that great. They still somehow managed to give Camilo Duvall an an ample amount of save chances. I think Steamer projected him last year to lead MLB in saves. And I thought that was weird. And he tied 
for second uh, with with David Bednar, of course, only behind Emmanuel Clase. So um, Duvall brings it. He gets the strikeouts. Honestly, this was like I, I just wanted someone who was safe, a closer, just so I could check that box and move on. Um, but no, I mean, he was he was really good last year. The the FIP, the XFIP all kind of back up what he did. Um, the strikeout rate, of course, was was excellent. Um, he's pitched exactly 67 and two thirds innings pitched both of the last two seasons, um, which feels like a lot for a reliever. Um, but until he gives me a reason to be concerned about him, I'm going to keep drafting him as uh, as my first closer off the board when the opportunity presents itself, because I, I, I think he's just fine. He's safe. He's a good closer. I mean, he's not just fine. He has a slider. He throws 36 percent of the time at a 25 percent swing strike rate. That's that's absurd. <laughs> and a ground ball rate above 50 percent, Nick. Um, it's and you have whiffs. Yeah. And you have whiffs. Oh, right. Right. The, the so you're okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I'll, honestly, you see that ground ball rate at six. Um, so high at 53%. And then a really low um, left on base rate at 66. That's actually kind of weird when you have strikeouts there too. Because generally you have the guys on base and you're able to put them away um, and not allow a home run essentially. Um, so uh, that is shocking and that should get better. I mean, that's a small sample size, about 68 innings. And I imagine the ERA comes down from 293 when that left on base rate gets rectified. Um, we're going to move on to the uh, the 10th round. This is another thing that I learned from this one is you don't need to go for a catcher. You really don't. There are so many. They lasted so long. There were guys that we could have drafted and we didn't. Uh, and so tell me what drew you to Will Smith. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'd say there were there were a lot of pitchers available that I was like, okay, you know, they look interesting, but I felt good about having the three that I already had. Um, so this is, it's almost similar to Duvall is just checking a box because I do kind of view it like you, like you can wait on catcher, but if you feel like you're not reaching and there's a player that you value there, like Will Smith is as consistent as it gets. I, I that's a set it and forget it catcher that yeah. I can just plug in and I'm going to have a top five catcher. He could be one, he might be five, but either way, I'm pretty happy with what I end up with. Um, so I thought, you know what, let's, let's get catcher out of the way here and, and lock up some Will Smith. If I knew I could get, uh, you know, Gabriel Moreno, wherever he went, if I knew that at the time, maybe I do end up taking a pitcher or something like that. I don't even mm-hmm. know if Gabriel Moreno got drafted. Um, but I'm also perfectly fine taking Will Smith. Yeah, he's fine. That's fine. I mean, that, that's it. If you want to do 10th yeah. round, Will Smith, have a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to go to the 11th round uh, and we are going to see Christian Javier. Mm. So this is this is very interesting to me. There There is this group around now, I would say the 10th through 14th, that are filled with cherry bombs, right? Guys that have a lot of strikeout promise. We know that they have that in the tank, but oh boy, good luck trying to find the right ones. So other ones around this time are Christian Javier, Gavin Williams, Shane Boz, Brian Wu, Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease, Hunter Green. I was Mason Miller. Obviously a little bit different now. Hmm. Billy Obers here. You Darvish. Uh, I feel like I'm at a roast now. Um, we've got Taj Bradley here. Okay. Um, so what drew you to Christian Javier instead of all of those? Uh, well, for a lot of those names you just mentioned, Javier's actually shown it for a season. 
you know, for, for a full season of being awesome. This guy, I, I really respect his pitching takes, referred to Christian Javier about a year ago as the American League Spencer Strider. Yeah, he and was. Like, he was in I, 2022. Unfortunately, he's not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm, I, and I'm just, I'm not ready to give up on that upside for a player who's so young. I mean, what is Javier, like 25 years old or whatever? And sure. uh, for what it's worth, and I have a hard time finding like Stuff Plus and stuff like that, but I, I remember listening to Rates and Barrels and, you know, was talking about how the, the Stuff Plus on Christian Javier in the playoffs was really good. And you look at his starts in the second half of September and like, granted, we're really limiting the sample here, but we're looking for anything to convince ourselves that Christian Javier is back. Um, and he did post some some impressive stuff, uh, both Location Plus, Stuff Plus, everything looked pretty good in the second half of September and ultimately in the postseason. Um, he had that outstanding start against Minnesota, uh, struggled a little bit against the Rangers in the World Series, but um, I don't know. I, I'm not ready to give up on the upside there. So at this point now, I've got two upside swings with Glass now and Javier. One I feel a lot better about than the other. And I still have that safe floor of Eflin and um, Eflin and Castillo. So I feel like my rotation is, is coming together interestingly, but coming together. Sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, so here's the thing. I mean, it was, uh, just easily put, PLV had at a 5.51, that is a four seamer in 2022, and as a 5.16 in 2023. Okay, so just, just even right there, there's there's something going on that uh, PLV is like, no, 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 this ain't right, this isn't good. Um, the the biggest thing about the playoffs for, uh, for Javier was that he found spin all of a sudden on the four seamer. It's cheating. Yeah, I'm, I didn't, I'm not saying that, but I'm also saying that's very abnormal and not typical to see. Um, there is the other aspect of his slider just being a, a lot worse um, throughout the year, less reliable. 62% strike rate in 2022. That was a big thing for him to be able to get back into accounts, have a 17% swing strike rate. In 2023, that was a 10% swinging strike rate, 56 and change. Uh, strike rate overall not reliable at all it's O swing went down dramatically so and that's a huge thing too when you have a fastball that i mean still overall similar swing strike rate 15 percent and 15 percent in two straight years um similar strike rates like that wasn't innately the problem it's the problem that he just can't get strikes with the slider and he finds himself being inefficient in uh in plate appearances now that's a huge deal uh, and it, it's just towing the line that I talk about a lot with walk rates or just being efficient of, are you giving into batters as much? Are you or getting to the counts that you want to get to? Um, and I think that Christian Javier teetered so much between a good pitch and a bad pitch, much more so, um, than he did in previous years. That's scary to me. Um, his quality pitch rate on his four seamer was 55% in 2022, which is great. That essentially means a PLV of over 5.5. That fell to 48%, which is still good at 77th percentile, but it's not like the 95th or 98th or whatever it was in 2022, right? And that slider um, also fell from 51% down to 47%. Um, and a lot more bad pitches that are wasted pitches and or just inside the zone that were bad uh, by eight points there. Uh, so seven rather. Uh, but my point is Javier trends in the wrong way, adds more spin in the postseason. I don't know. And I'm questioning if I can really depend on that four seamer being the pitch that it used to be again. I'm um, really overwhelming. Um, if that slider isn't 
there to support him. He also lost a ticket velocity, um, which I don't want to ignore as well. So, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I truly do. Um, I just think there are better bets to make than Javier. And I also, I think a guy like Javier is harder to determine when the season starts. Um, because you have this feeling of, oh, okay, this is just one thing. I think this is good. I don't know. He just got whatever. And you're going to hold on to him for a long time regardless, right? You, you draft Javier. He's not going anywhere off your team. So if you do draft Christian Javier, be ready for him to possibly be a hipster, headache-inducing starting pitcher or headache-inducing pitcher stifling the entire roster. And uh, good luck. Uh, hopefully Christian Javier works out. No, I, I, I hear all that. Um... I think at this point in the draft, you can say a lot of not the specifics of what you said, but you can say you can identify a lot of warts on a lot of these other starting pitchers that went in yeah. that round. Um, you know, it, Mason Miller aside, because it does look like he'll close. No interest in Brian Wu. Carlos Rodon looked like a lost soul. Dylan Cease is is kind of similar oh, to. No. I'm to so Javier not. Yeah. Well, uh, Javier at least has like two things to me that could work. With Cease sure. is just the just the slider. So, uh, you know. Maybe the move here would be to just not take a pitcher and just wait a little bit longer and take some shots, you know, in that like Montgomery, Morton, Seth Lugo mm. range. Not that I have any interest in Seth Lugo. Um, but again, I, it's just sort of, okay, he didn't have it for a year, but let's see if he can get back to where he was before. Um, and so I'm, I'm fine taking him there. Well, thing is, I, I love Brian Wu. I'm really? so in on Brian Wu. I'm so in on Bailey Ober. Um. Shane Boz went before your pick. Uh, some smart idiot. Um, Would you take Boz before yeah. Javier? Okay. Yeah, oh, you actually, did. It, you did take Boz. Yeah. Before yeah. Um, okay. The thing is, I, I I know it's like, oh my god, Nick, he hasn't pitched. Oh, I get it. It's insane how good his stuff was. I mm-hmm. uh, now when he was hurt, it wasn't as good as it was. And when he first came up that uh, in uh, 2022 and he was a little bit worse or 2021, and he was a little bit worse in 2022, but he was hurt. I, I just feel that the four seamer and, and breaking ball, are just both elite there with Shane Boz. Um, oh, I'm all in on the player. I'm worried about not him getting re injured, but a player coming back from that injury within that organization. I feel like he's going to throw like, mm-hmm. 80 inning pitch this year. At oh, wow. Years. No, I would say traditionally it's like 120 or so. Um, I, I just don't, I don't trust the organization. That's fair. I, I, uh, I totally get that with them. Completely. Like, would it surprise you if they're, if randomly in the middle of June, they're like, Shane Boz is going to come out of the bullpen this month. Like, I, mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise well, me. Well, at the very least, like, I, I feel in that case, it's not about quality, right? And it's about time. So if the quality isn't in question, then I will go for the guy at this point. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm avoiding a lot of these guys around here. I'm not. I mean, I kind of do like Rodon. I actually love my 17th round pick. I might be going around here, which is Nestor Cortez, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> I got to figure that one out a little bit more. Um, but there, this is really the biggest story. I think is once you get past the um, the initial part where you're not going to drop the guy. Right. I mm-hmm. talk about all the time of like, who are your four starters that you just know you're not going to be dropping? At that point, um, there are so many different directions to go. And it's, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, like Brash going in the 10th and Musgrove in the ninth, Bobby Miller also in the ninth and Reagan's and, and Ryan down here too. And 
my gosh, there are so many quality arms in this six through 10, 11 rounds to me. And yeah. that has to be where you attack starting pitch. I know I say this every year. That's what it is, but it is massively so. Shota uh, Imanaga, who I got in the 18th, is not going in the 18th round in March. He just is not. I guarantee you he's likely going to go above Christian Javier. I mean, I'm wow. going to have him over that. Um, but Shoto, I mean, Lance Brzezowski put out this tweet. This is what I've been seeing, but he put it out in actual terms. Shoto Managa's induced vertical break on his four-seamer was 20 inches. 20. That is absurdly elite. Okay, I can't express that enough. That is what you want, and he actually locates it. Um, and his sweeper is great, and he has a forkball that misses bats and a curveball he can rely on, and it's like... This is a complete command pitcher who happens to have whiff stuff. That is everything I circle when it comes to guys to target in my drafts. So I would so much rather go for Minaga than Christian Javier, where I just don't know what I'm going to get. Right? Wow. But I didn't know that at the time. You know, I, didn't, I definitely you know. didn't because I just found it out now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, I cannot tell you. I, I whatever team signs Minaga is going to be happy uh, and thrilled about it. And honestly, if Yamamoto wasn't game posted right now everyone will be freaking out over omenaga okay um, wow. but anyway uh we got a lot more to talk about we're only 11 rounds in and we're going to talk about all of this after that break nope uh-uh let me do that again adam so we have so many more to talk about and we're going to talk about all of them after this break so we went back to the closer uh pool in the 12th round ryan heasley was there helsley sorry was there and you were like yeah absolutely give me all of the ryan helsley why'd you go for him instead of say like pete fairbanks or andres munoz uh fairbanks because i i don't trust the rays at all mm -hmm. um especially with that position and, and fairbanks has dealt with his fair share of injuries um not that helsley hasn't uh Munoz, honestly, if I could have it back, I might take Munoz. Helsley missed a lot of time. Helsley throws 197 miles an hour, and <laughs> he had a forearm strain last year. Like, we all see where this is headed, right? Like, this is headed in one direction. I'm not saying I'm predicting an injury. I would never try to do I'm not a doctor. I wouldn't even know how to do that. I'm just somebody who has been playing fantasy for almost 20 years now, and, like, that just seems like a recipe for disaster. But maybe being a closer and, and not a starter will will help him stay healthy um, and out there. He certainly missed a lot of time last year. But when he was healthy, wow, this guy is incredible. Um, so I, I'm all in on Helsley, the player. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad I have Duvall in the bank because if Helsley is your first closer off the board... I, I don't know. I, I'm a little worried about the uh, the injury possibility there. And it wasn't yeah, his first so, arm injury either. He's he's had them in the past. So the weird thing I'm seeing is, I mean, look, you see 99.7 and you think, okay, this guy's got to have like an 18% swing striker or something. It's only 12%. Yeah, and I don't weird. get it uh, because I'm, I just went to his fastball shape and I'm like, all right, there's got to be something about this. It's like, what's going on? Oh my gosh, you can't be serious. Okay. Uh, the fastball shape is insanely good. It's 100 miles per hour. Extensions at 6.7. That's great. IVB is 17.7. That's great. Uh, VAA, it's flat, 1.4. Where does he throw it? Low. What are you doing? Why, 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 why are you throwing it 81st percentile low lock, 23rd percentile high lock? No. Don't throw more than 42% upstairs. Please, Helsley. We need it. Hey, man, it's oh working, though. 
Uh, I mean, that's that there there it is to me about like why that pitch doesn't get more whiffs and why it has a 42% ICR. Like he just needs to get it upstairs more. Um, it is weird that, I mean, he has seeking grounders on this thing. Not, I mean, not really either. 36% get a lot of grounders. Yeah. Line drives. Um, 0.25 homer per nine. Uh, essentially, is, was that like one home run uh, from last year? Yeah, one home run. Um, I, the way I see it is like, dude, just get that pitch upstairs and you'll, you will be the best pitcher in the bullpen anywhere in the world. Okay, cool. So hopefully he stays healthy and does that makes all the sense to me. Uh, we're going to move on to Teoscar Hernandez in the 13th round, who I, I believe was just dealt or maybe he's not free agent. What's going on he's with free Teoscar? Agent. Free yeah, agent. Okay. So- uh, yeah, the, the Red Sox were rumored to be in on him before they went and got Tyler O'Neill, which got me a little excited because I, I like Teoscar. Uh, he's on the older side now. Um, this will be his age 31 season coming up. Obviously, he strikes out a ton. Um, but at this point in the draft, I am really stressing about outfield. Um, and I feel like Teoscar is one of the few players left who is not only still capable of putting up a, a, a decent line but has also done it in the past mm-hmm. so this was much a uh you know at the t- i don't even think in october there were a lot of rumors about where he could end up or, or anything like that so I, I don't think i was thinking too much about where he ends up it was just more like this is a player who is a fantasy contributor at the very least he gives you a little bit of speed definitely a lot of pop um if you can absorb what might be a bad batting average especially as he gets older and with that strikeout rate then uh he should be a solid bet and at this point is he only my third outfielder like that is just not going to cut it if that's the case. So being aware of uh, outfield and, and where you stand in your outfield as drafts go on is going to be really important because, man, the more I look at this, this outfield ended up as a disaster. Yeah. Uh, Teoscar is about swing aggression. I mean, he's one of the yeah, he's 80th percentile or so in swing aggression. Decision value has gone up and down. Contactability, he's hoping for it to be league average, but he's more like 25th percentile or so. And obviously the power is just is always going to be there uh, with Teoscar. Um, he, he's a hot and cold hitter. 26 home runs, 93 RBI last year. Um, and for us, I, in PLV projections, we have, uh, I can find things. I'm really good at it, I promise. Uh, it does obviously depend on the park that he goes to. 27 home runs, 81 runs, 84 RBI, 260 average, right? Um, and that's fine. Like that's It, it does feel like a guy that you just leave in your lineup. I mean, a 12-teamer, Though it does have, um, you know, potential of just being a valley in t- for the first two months, and you just move off the team um, mm-hmm. at that point. And to your point from the beginning, I mean, yeah, it gets really thin at this point. Um, something I really try and frame and then knock down in the offseason, especially before drafts, is saying, "Look, if I draft this guy, am I going to treat him?" Um, like a quick drop or not, because I cannot I emphasize that all the time. Everyone draft players, you can make quick decisions on. That's it's so important that you don't just get stuck with a guy for you uh, for the entire year that you didn't really want to have while you get guys that you can make decisions on and then you can actually move on from them quicker than others. Are you going to be able to move on from Teoscar Hernandez if it's not looking good early on? Or are you picking him being like he's on my team for the year? Uh, I mean, I think if you're taking a player even this early, it's not early. It's the 13th round. But as your third outfielder, you got to kind of plan on having this player for the long term because you're looking at your fourth and fifth outfield spots thinking you got to turn those over if you have to turn over your third. And that's just too much. I would say if I could take the pick back and have Wyatt Langford instead, I would. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, at this point in draft season, we had no ADP data and Wyatt Langford was still a guy who was amazing. 
but hadn't had any MLB experience. I wasn't sure where to put him in my rankings, and he mm-hmm. went the next round. And obviously, that Teoscar's not going to go in front of Wyatt Langford in any draft this draft season. This is just another kind of a casualty of drafting here in October. I mean, look, I'll go a step further. Langford's not going to go that late in any drafts come draft season. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, look, you're talking to the guy who took Taylor Ward in the 14th and Nelson Velasquez in the 15th. Okay, I don't, you know, <laughs> right? I didn't know. I'm just trying to go through. I'm like, hey, I could see how these both of these guys could have breakout years. And I certainly was in that moment of, I have my offense, and I'm just trying to figure out the utility spots and the places that I'm going to be swapping out early. So I'm actually taking chances already at this point for my offense. And actually, the 16th, 17th, 18th for me were guys that I felt like I'm actually going to be holding a decent amount for my starting rotation. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then 20th and 22nd were more like, okay, let's take some more flyers and pitching. So it is easier to find uh, reliable starters later on um, than it is hitting. And with someone like Tasker Hernandez, uh, it, I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, Lars Newtbar and uh, Chaz McCormick, um, Jack Sawinski, Ian Happ. I mean, he does get very thin. Uh, TJ Friedel um, or Friedel. I can never get it right. I think um, it's Friedel. I think Friedel, yeah. Uh, you know, all of these is like, okay, I could see how that works. But maybe Teoscar goes to the right place, has a, has a good situation, and is able to get comfortable there. That would be really cool. Um, I kind of like Eloy Jimenez more um, because I feel as if if you have Eloy on your team and he's healthy, he's not going to be bad for you. Um, 272 average last year, 18 home runs, uh, 64 RBI, but just 120 games. You know, on the the per game quality, I think is higher with Eloy than it is Teoscar. Sadly, I believe he's just DH now. Um, right. It, it might, I don't know if he actually had some games in the outfield last year, but I uh, it does feel like it's going to be a util only. How do you feel about Eloy? Yeah, I I've gone back and forth on Eloy just about every year since he's been in the league. <laughs> um, I think when we saw that, what was his average that one season? He hit two. 295 and and, uh 2022 and 296 in 2020 yeah those just they just feel like outliers um like Mm -hmm. i I don't know if he'll be able to keep that up and and the strikeout rate was down at 19 percent, which is great i mean for that's great for any player that's unbelievable for eloy but it doesn't really make sense to me that the chase rate the whiff rate were still really bad um so uh, i wouldn't be surprised that strikeout rate goes up a little bit but you're right i mean you hit it when he's healthy he's good and i'm not with a player who's only 27 years old, especially one that a lot of his injuries came from playing in the field and now he's DH only, I'm not ready to write guys off like that and say like, oh, they're just injury prone and, and that's it. Um, like I got to that point with Byron Buxton. Fair enough. It can happen apparently. But Eloy, like would it really surprise anybody? if Would it be that surprising, Nick, if Eloy Jimenez next season played 150 games and hit 35 homers with over 100 RBI? Would, like would that blow your hair back? Yeah, right. Right. That makes like, a lot of sense. I, so, I, I'm perfectly fine having him at utility. And if he does end up with just, what, five outfield starts in Yahoo or, or 10 outfield, whatever mm-hmm. it is, then, then now I have I have an escape valve. So um, could be could be a valuable player for this team. So what's interesting is that Eloy's power in 2022 was uh, averaged in the 93rd percentile. And last year, it was good for the first month or so and then just fell off a cliff. And I imagine that was injury. Um, that just really sapped a lot of the stuff from him. Um, contact ability is actually pretty elite for Eloy. And to see power and contact ability really high is shocking, honestly. Um, and Scott, you made a really good point saying, 
when it comes to the three major hitting stats that I use, which are contactability, decision value, and uh, power, if you have elite power and elite contactability, it doesn't matter what your decision value is because you are making contact, <laughs> right? Like that makes a ton of sense to me. While sure. decision value with lower con- with low contact is not good because you need something to make contact that's still more important. And I made that flaw. I had that flaw in me before. I was like, oh man, I see like Aaron Judge, super high decision value, not so great contact, but super high power. This is the this is the model. Like, no, it's it's the other Nick. And seeing that from Eloy is pretty cool. Um, it was league average uh, ish contact ability in 2022, uh, and decision value went up and down in. Um, uh, well, it was really, really good in 2022. Uh, and it was a little bit more volatile, I think, in 2023. But that's there. And there's another question about who's going to surround Eloy and who's going to be the uh, the guys that can support him. But, I mean, our projection has him 27 home runs, 80 runs, 83 RBI, and a 270 average. Like, that's, that's great. Yeah. I'm so down for that, you know? I uh, obviously health is a thing, but if he's just playing DH, you hope that he's going to be okay. And I dig it. I, I'm, I feel like, you know, last year everyone's saying, oh man, JD Martinez, what a great get in like the 16th round or something. If you're getting 14th round, Eli Jimenez here. I, I'm such a fan. This is a seal of approval. You got it. Bam. He might done. even be going, he, he might even be going later in some other drafts. I got him pretty late in an NFBC fifties a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm seeing what you're seeing. I like it when he, when he's healthy. He is awesome. If he stays in the field, it's going to be a nice piece for this team. And I mean, obviously, I'm making the leap that the drop in power is due to injury from last year. And when mm-hmm. he had been 93rd percentile in power and was still there until just falls off completely. Like one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest ones I've seen. Um, let's uh, let's go to the uh, 15th round now. Uh, and you are going to shortstop. You don't have a shortstop. Hmm. You played with fire, my man. Mm-hmm. And I remember last year, this was a big discussion about who are we going for and where. Uh, with our shortstop, there was this uh, seventh round cluster. Then there were the backup options, a couple. But everyone kind of waited on it. And this year's a little bit different. And Carlos Correa, once again, is past the 10th round. He's on the 15th round for you. Do you see a bounce back this year for Carlos Correa? Um, I mean, yes, because there's no way he only bats 230. Um, like, like what a, what a wildly terrible season he had. I I do expect him to quote bounce back, but how much is he going to bounce back? I I, I don't know. Like uh, Carlos Correa, it feels like he's been so young and, and for so long, but he's 29 years old, right? I mean, he's going to be 30 soon. So he pretty much, I I think we know what we're getting and that is he's going to miss some time. Uh, but when he's healthy, he's going to at least hit for a good average. Again, I, I don't put any stock in last season. I'm just writing last season off. We have enough of a sample that when Carlos Correa is healthy, he's a decent hitter. I just, I don't know how much the counting stats are going to be there. Like, what are we realistically expecting for runs plus RBI? There's not going to be any stolen bases. He hasn't stolen a base since like 2020 or something. Um, and the, the power is going to be very middling. But at this point, I'd waited clearly too long on shortstop. So I wanted to get someone who has a safe floor. And despite how, despite how bad he was in 2023, I do think Carlos Correa's floor is decent. Like, I, I think he's going to spend the season on my team. I don't think this is going to be a player I'm going to drop, unlike who I took two rounds ago and Teoscar Hernandez, who maybe I do end up dropping. Well, you're in luck because we have 86 runs and 80 RBI and 21 home runs for Correa over 130. I would games. take that. Take it to the Yeah, all, all day and in in at this point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the question is, are, what kind of Carlos are we going to get, right? Uh, are we going to get 135 games from him? Hopefully you do. Hopefully he's not sapped by injury. I mean, obviously, last year was a major disappointment with a 230 average and not a single stolen base. I mean, he's gotten one stolen base uh, since the start of 2019, and that was in 2019. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, uh, so that's just not his game anymore. But if you get those solid numbers across the board, like, all right, this is fine. It's safe. Not, you can't say across the board, no stolen bases, but there's nothing that really is hurting you. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be great. And I get it. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the other guys around. Um uh, Tovar, uh, Lawler, uh, Noelvi, Marte, uh, Mauricio, which obviously is, you know, we didn't know at the time. Um, there aren't really many other shortstops I'm seeing. Maybe Jimenez still has eligibility. I'm not sure. Uh, so getting something like this that you can say, okay, cool. This is like a safe one. And if I like something more in this, I don't mind replacing it. That's a decent play to make because there's nothing that really was sticking out here. Maybe Marte is a fun upside. Noelvi. Um, mm-hmm. to chase instead, but I totally get the Correa pick here. Um, 16th round is next, and we're actually going to take one last break uh, before we talk about that one. And we're back, and it's Ryan Pepio, and Ryan Pepio is now on the Rays instead of the Dodgers. What's interesting to me is I was kind of out on Pepio. I saw him more as a changeup guy, and I didn't really like how he used his fastball with the Dodgers. I didn't really think it was going to change. He does actually have decent fastball shape, just not really utilizing it as a high four-seamer pitch. The slider I don't really trust, and that makes him really just a change-up four-seamer guy. And I felt it overperformed with the Dodgers last year. But with the Rays, it might be a little bit different. They might point to that. Um, you took this, of course, not knowing the trade with the Gladstone was going to happen and that it was going to include Pepio. So I want to go through your process of choosing Pepio instead of Hunter Brown, Jordan Montgomery, um, Brian Bayo, etc. Yeah, uh, so a few names there that I definitely like. Pepio was good for me down the stretch last season. I rostered him in quite a few leagues. So there's a little bit of a bias there of like, hey, like this guy really turned it on down the stretch. He was awesome. He was posting gaudy numbers, even though under the hood, it didn't look like he was performing that amazingly, like on the surface, which is what matters for fantasy. He really was. Um, a few names there like Hunter Brown. Um, you know, if this was in the first half of the season, I would have been like, oh, I'm all over Hunter Brown over Ryan Pepio. No question. Um, obviously, things started to turn around in, in a negative direction for him. Um, Brian Bayo, I just, I want to love him cause I'm a, I'm a Red Sox honk all the way, but, uh, just it didn't take that step forward that I, I think many of us were hoping for last season. I had him for $9 in an odd new league where I'm actually going to cut him for $9 because if I really want him, I think I'll be able to get him for like five or six bucks. I'm just yeah, not sure. that sold on, on Bayo. But, um, even though, like you said, it didn't happen at the time. Pepio getting dealt to Tampa Bay. He was in a great organization, but now he's going to another great organization. And Tampa Bay felt comfortable going from Tyler Glasnow to Ryan Pepio. I mean, that's the exchange that's that's being made here in the rotation. They felt comfortable enough doing that. So um, that gives me some hope that this pick might end up okay. Well, I mean, they didn't really feel comfortable. and They felt comfortable in saving the money. Um, there's a fantastic Fangraphs article about how... Uh, how predictable the Rays are dealing players before they hit free agency mm-hmm. um, and not spending on their last year of arbitration and getting some value still out of them before they lose them. Uh, and that was the situation here with, with Glasnow. Um, and Pepio is interesting. Uh, I, yeah, I, I still don't know quite where I stand because the Rays are going to Ray in some way here. Um, I think the they're going to see that Ryan Pepio is really a two pitch guy. And they're not going to trust him deep into games. 
Um, that's my initial take on it. However, if he is, if he does turn into like a four seamer up, change up, down guy, and then is able to find a cutter or something to, to actually nullify right handers a little bit better, um, instead of just doing righty and righty, um, change ups, then I, maybe there's something there. I mean, the slider sometimes showed some life last year, but I'm not really a big fan of it. So we'll see. Um, I personally actually really like Bayo. Uh, and the reason I like Bayo is because his sinker and changeup is actually a really good combination that he commands well. And the slider he showed that showed up in September for Bayo is finally the pitch I've been waiting for him to add. Um, and he got four whiffs, I think, in each of the four games he threw it in and a limited usage. And maybe like I can believe that this offseason he's going to do that. He has all the opportunity in uh, Boston and uh, there's a lot of potential there for him to excel there. Like just I could a Red see him Sox just go pessimist, man. That's yeah, all. I get it. 160 plus <laughs> innings are coming for Bayo, so um, there's potential for that to be like the surprise. Like, oh hey, like Bayo had a like, great season and just like, just did it constantly, you know. Um, and that seems safer to me than a couple others around here. Uh, but I understand the trepidation, and also for me, he might just be a Toby ultimately, and that's kind of annoying. Um, we're going to move on to your next pick here. That is the 17th round. Oh yeah, you're you're. Boston pessimism, huh? Well, here's Jaron Duran, <laughs> 17th round. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, no, this one I was excited to make. Um, you know, considering that the last two hitters that I took have a combined one stolen base since 2019, um, that's concerning. Like, I, I downplay stolen bases in head to head, although now I kind of view them as a category that I can win because stolen bases are up around the league. So maybe I'm going to target them a little bit more. I certainly did in the second and third rounds. Mm -hmm. um, and Durant obviously adds that element. Um, I think he's going to get plenty of opportunity, uh, especially with Verdugo out of the picture now. Um, and he did. I don't think he was just lucky last season. Like he, he made an adjustment before the season started. He talked about changing his swing, getting a, basically getting around a little bit quicker to the baseball, which uh, is usually a good thing for hitters. And it kind of showed itself. I mean, he was he was not just a speed guy. He had a little bit of pop last season with the eight homers in uh, 332 at bats. So I'm not saying that Duran is all of a sudden going to become some like 2030 guy, but could he give me 15 and 30 and decent counting numbers? Because if he's performing, he's going to hit towards the top of that lineup. I think he could. Um, he's far from a perfect player, but to, to shore up some stolen bases here this late. This was like the last pick that I felt really good about because stuff hits the fan. Uh, huh. my next, like, well, I mean, picks. look, when you get to the 18th round or so, it's just like, all right. Especially in October, in I want to qualify that. To, <laughs> yeah, but you'd also be rather in a situation of just getting rid of them because sure. I really cannot emphasize enough. Everybody go look back at your drafts Yeah, from 2022, 2021. Tell me how many of them you actually kept on your team past the 13th round. And you'd be surprised to see it's very few of them. And and honestly, really say like by like September 1st, um, mm -hmm. because playoff stuff allows you to do weird things. Um, but even by July 1st, you'd be surprised how many of them stuck around. And yeah, Duran, stolen bases. There's your guy, right? 27 projected for us. So I get cool. that completely. This is a head-to-head -head league where I don't emphasize stolen bases as much. Others actually have pushed back and said, look, Nick, I actually really focused on it because I want to steal that category every single week, no pun intended. And if I get that guaranteed one and I don't feel like I'm really sacrificing chances of the other ones, I'm like, I want to do that. I'm like, that makes sense too. So I, there's something to be said about it, especially as a Monday or a Thursday slot in, um, you could get a stolen base that wins your week. Um, and that could be a huge deal. 
Uh, so let's go to that 18th now. It's Ezekiel Tovar. And yeah. we're hoping that this guy who is a big swinger, super aggressive, uh, was actually really fun talking to Pablo Lopez about this, where uh, he was saying how to deal with Tovar, knowing that he is like Javi Baez. And he even threw like a slider so far down in a way and out of the zone and Tovar just poked the bat for a hit and it was so dumb. And I... Well, that's not like bias then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got contact on it at the very least, right? And I... He's that kind of guy. He's, you know, you see Colorado and you think, oh man, this guy's destined for like 25, 30 home runs just because of cores and it doesn't really work like that. But you're hoping really that something clicks here and between him and Correa, hopefully one of them is good enough. Yeah, right. I mean, that's it. It's it's just my big swing play where like, all right, I was disappointed that my starting shortstop's Correa. If he lives up to the PLV projections, then I'll be happy with that. But maybe maybe there's something in Tovar's bat that really breaks out this season and and I don't have to worry so much about Correa at the shortstop. But um, I I, I want to point to stuff and be like, well, look at what he did last season. That just yeah. it wasn't that good. I mean, it was it was a sub 100 WRC plus both halves like it. It, there's not a stretch that you can point to be like, see, Tovar was really taken off here. He had a few nice games, but it was mostly just a uh, bad season. But it is a top prospect um, playing in cores. So why not? Like you said, probably ends up dropped by June. Yeah. So uh, third percentile in O swing, ninth percentile in zone rate on pitches. 93rd in swing strike rate, which is bad, by the way, for a hitter. Uh, you want <laughs> that's it's saying like it's the highest, right? Uh, so 19% swing strike rate um, for Tovar. <laughs> Um, and against him, this is the most interesting one. Uh, there's plus percentage, which is essentially when a pitch is thrown by a pitcher, is the outcome of it good for the pitcher? And 99th percentile for this, that's 64%, which is super high. Um, so you don't want that for Tovar. Uh, and that's pretty much just saying that he's just swinging a ton. He has the 99th percentile strike rate against him, 71%, um, which is why he doesn't walk. What do you know? It's a 4% walk rate. Uh, so... He's swinging a ton. He's, yeah, hitting into a lot of outs. Um, it's not looking good right now. However, he's going to get opportunities to refine it. Um, Tovar is going to be 23 August 1st. He is very young. Um, he is learning the game. He's, I'm sure, going to find some sort of play discipline, mess around with swing aggression a little bit. And uh, it's not out of the question, you know, prospect growth is not linear, that Tovar gain some skills this offseason and improves upon everything that he just did. So it's a fun, um, it's a fun play here, especially considering the situation in course. I, uh, the next three are interesting as well. Chris Paddock is 19th round. I actually talked about Chris Paddock with, uh, Eric Samolski on, on the corner last night, um, which will be out. I actually don't know. I think this will be after that OTC. So you're going to get double Paddock here. Y'all, what are your thoughts, Pete on Chris Paddock? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I we haven't seen him in so long. Um, obviously, he had that monster spring training and, and and broke out with San Diego, and and I thought this guy was going to be an ace for years. Um, and it's just been injuries and poor performance ever since. I will say, you know, Minnesota tends to get a lot out of their starting pitchers. Uh, it, it seems like that organization in general, like <clears throat> sure. But like, <laughs> if that's what it takes for Paddock, and and that gets him to uh, being a respectable starting Absolutely. pitcher, sure. This this pick is actually very similar to to my next pick uh, with the Max Meyer mm. one to kind of lump the two together. Where it goes back to actually what you were talking about just a few minutes ago, where like you you're probably going to end up dropping these guys. Yeah. But if we get to spring training, and Paddock or Meyer or both are shoving 
then these picks are going to look like bargains and, and maybe they're guys that actually stay on my roster. I mean, Max Myers, what, he's going to be 19 months, 20 months maybe removed from his Tommy John surgery. Like mm-hmm. he's ready to pitch. Here we go. I mean, there's going to be an innings cap. It's not a good team. So it, it's not going to be like they're just going to let him loose every outing. But this is a former number one, number two pitching prospect in all of baseball um, who in Paddock was never that high, but another guy with a lot of hype who they're coming back. It's late in the draft. Let me take some shots. Maybe one of them sticks. Yeah. So with Max Meyer um, and Chris Paddock, uh, so Paddock is very interesting to me because I don't know how good his fastball is. And I don't have the data from 2019 and it drives me nuts because I'm learning all about pitch types uh, and sorry, pitch shapes and everything. And all I want to know is 2019 when we were so in on Chris Paddock, was that a better fastball? Like how much so? <laughs> and I don't know the IVB on it. If someone has it and can send it to me, please do. Um, because it was not actually very good last year, despite the higher velocity, right? He came back, you know, thrown with a lot more muscle as Eric mm-hmm. was mentioning on the podcast and throwing a lot harder. It was out of the bullpen, but still it felt like, okay, no, this is velocity that would stick if you were a starter. And, the shape though wasn't good. It was 15 IVB. However, in 2022, before Tommy John, it was great. It was it was like elite stuff. And the VAA isn't very good, but I everything else was great with it. And I couldn't understand in 2019 if that's what he was doing. That is why his fastball was everything. The thing is, Chris Paddock has never really been more than that. The Vulcan change was never a consistent pitch for him. I mean, sometimes a couple games or so, but no, we didn't really like that thing. And we were hoping that the curveball would take another step. And it didn't at any point. And then when we briefly saw him last year, we didn't really have any sort of idea that it would. So it's super, super dependent on this four-seamer being like Rodon's or something like that. Showing up and just being like, this is what I throw. Or like Bryce Miller or something like, here's 70% of the time and it's that good and everything's great. I don't know if that's going to be it. And I also don't know if the Twins are actually going to have Chris Paddock in the rotation. Uh, mm. There are not many options at the moment for the, for the Twins. I mean, it's Joe Ryan, it's Pablo Lopez, it's Bailey Ober, and then Paddock and Louis Varland? Maybe David Festa gets in there? Uh, I'm curious what happens there and if they sign someone, which they should. And I honestly would hope it's Louis Varland and not Chris Paddock. I think... Paddock with this kind of setup is made for the bullpen now more while Varland, I think can be more of a uh, actual starter, but maybe not. I, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I think it's going to be really interesting to see in spring training, how well Paddock does. Um, and with Meyer, it's, I wasn't too impressed in 2022 when he showed up. I remember the debut and be like, Oh, it's fine. It was 50% sliders, which was very aggressive. And his fastball came with cut action and I hate cut action on fastballs. Pete, why? Because you can't get whiffs upstairs with them. Okay. Obviously. Duh. Well, just think of it actually. If it's going straight and then imagine the bat, it's already tilted a little bit at an angle. So what sure. you're doing is you're then saying the where the ball would miss above the barrel, it's now going closer into the bat. <laughs> or if you cut, right? Um, so you can do great things with it if you know how to locate it, which would be inside the lefties, but it can be a struggle against right-handers. And I don't like that. Um, some guys get away with it by keeping it low. Zach Allen does a bit, which is kind of cool. Um, but I, it's interesting to me. And I think that Bradish needs to figure it out too a little bit. 
So being so heavily dependent on the slider, Max Meyer, I don't know if I really want to go for that. Um, also, I don't know if he's in the rotation. Trevor Rogers should have that fifth spot at this point. Edward Cabrera and Luzardo and uh, another guy, uh, Braxton Garrett and Yuri Perez. And that's the rotation at the moment. So I would be surprised if the Marlins pushed Max Meyer um, into the rotation early. And I'm not really going to be targeting, but maybe spring training looks really good. And like, no, we want you. And this guy's hurt. And maybe it's really fun. And maybe I'm just really stupid. So uh, <laughs> oftentimes I am. I, uh, any other thoughts about Paddock and Meyer? Uh, no, I mean, the, the point about the rotation is, is spot on with Miami, but I would say it's pretty much the same conversation we had last year and injuries, the Pablo yeah, you never know. Trade, and all of a sudden, you know, there were a lot of spots open. So sure. Uh, if anything, it, again, it goes back to what you said. These guys could be easy April 1st cuts. If right. those situations unfold where one's in the bullpen, the other's in the minors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's interesting to me here is that your 21st round, you know, I've heard a lot about like before even they signed with the same team, uh, which they did, which is fine. They were on the same team last year. Uh, there's a lot of questions about who do we like more Seth Lugo or Michael Walker? And I was saying, I think it's Michael Walker. And I think even more so now in Kansas city, I uh, that's 21st round, Michael Walker versus 16th round Seth Lugo. No, I want Walker. And were you happy to see this one? Uh, this was very much a, okay, well, I took two guys who are extreme long shots in my last two picks, so let me get someone a little safe here. I, that NFBC 50s I mentioned a little earlier, I got Waka there as well, because he is, he's, he's safe innings. Um, the strikeouts aren't going to be there. If we want to compare him to the Lugo pick, then yeah, I think the Lugo pick was was a pretty pretty substantial reach, but that's, mm-hmm. again, the, the reality of drafting in October. And and to be fair, Lugo did have a phenomenal season last year, but Michael Walker's now had a stretch of really good seasons. It started here in Boston. Um, and even though he hasn't really been able to find a home and, and he's going to be pitching for his, what, fourth team in four years or something like that, um, he's been pretty consistently fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense that he goes a little bit later in fantasy because the strikeouts just aren't there. He's not going to be a guy who's a strikeout in inning. It's just not in Michael Waka's repertoire. But He's shown us time and time again, he can go deep into his outings. Um, even though the innings pitch totals don't look too crazy, he does have plenty of stretches where he's going six, seven, even seven innings. And he's useful. Um, he, he, his ratios look good. I don't see a reason why Michael Waka shouldn't be drafted in most 12 teamers because I think you get to this point in the draft and it's like, oh man, I could, I could take darts like Paddock or I could take a dart like Max Meyer. I could get somebody pretty safe who might end up being on my roster for the rest of the season. It's ultimately what I went for here with uh, Waka. And Nick, you must love this new home ballpark, right? I mean, it's it's Kaufman. great. He should be able to pitch there. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, what's so interesting to me is uh, you go from San Diego and understand the San Diego defense is a great thing for pitchers. So Lugo and Waka both benefited from pitching in San Diego for this. Also, they suppress home runs early on and then they allow them in the summer uh, a ton more. Um, and Waka going to Kansas City, he is a more of a fly ball arm than Lugo. So Lugo benefited more from that defense than Waka will. And then you go to Kansas City, which is like, no, that's really good for suppressing home runs too. So that's a positive for me. I also like the fact that the Royals are a team, as they showed with Reagans last year, they will just let Waka start. Uh, mm-hmm. They will push him as much as he can in a game. I think the Padres are a little bit more careful with that than Waka will be. Wins are another question. 
And that's going to be a little bit more of a concern. Maybe the Royals are getting better. Velasquez and Witt and Pascantina coming back and other guys and friends, I don't know, uh, who are on that team. You know better than I do. Uh, Morel? No, not Morel. I mean, what's his name? Um, Nick something, right? He's like actually second baseman? Speed guy? Everyone, Michael Massey? Yes. So Massey, Massey's a second baseman with a little bit of speed and a, a decent barrel rate. There Nicky you go. Lopez, I know things. You might be thinking of, but he's on the White Sox now. So oh, he's on the White Sox now. I don't know things. Okay. Lopez is not Massey. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe the Royals are a better offense, as I was talking about before about younger teams getting better. Salvi, there's another one. Um, but I, but also Michael Waka's changeup is so good, and it does not get enough love. In the majors, 33% of the time he throws these changeups, 70% strike rate, 33% ICR, 21% swing strike rate. And I really want to emphasize the balance of a pitcher. The best pitcher in baseball is someone who throws 100% strikes and 0% ICR. That means that they throw strikes all the time. And when contact is made, they are not punished on it, right? It's the balance. I'm trying to throw strikes, but not too good strikes so that you can crush it. So if you get 70% strikes, which is elite that usually comes with like 40% ICR coming back at you. 33% is also elite. Ugh, it's really good. I think honestly, you should be more like a 40, 45% uh, change up guy. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of does that on his own. I don't think the Royals are going to fix it. I'll tell you that. But uh Waka's already a command guy with this incredible change up. Um, yeah. And getting this in the 21st round, uh, I haven't looked this up, but I can right now because what you guys can do is you can go to my top 200 starting pitchers for 2024 article and you can see the opening schedules. So who is Waka going to get this opening weekend? Well, he's going to get the Twins and I would start Michael Waka, the Twins. So this is actually a very sneaky strategy for 12 teamers is you if you target guys who are pitching opening weekend instead of pitchers who are number five starters. You can actually get a free start over the weekend of value and then swap them out for someone else. It's just a free game that you get instead of grabbing someone else that hasn't pitched yet. Uh, something to think about there. Waka opening weekend against the Twins, I feel like is a good start to make. Um, and I might be circling him in the same way in the 21st round. So that is a seal of approval. Absolutely, nice. Michael Waka 21st round. Uh, we have two picks to go. As I, I mean, really one pick because Ronnie Maras, uh, Mauricio, unfortunately sprained his ACL or tore it, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and will be out for the year or at least a very long time. Uh, what were you I think thinking, though? Basically the year. Not what were yeah, you I mean, thinking? I was like, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, honestly, Mauricio in the 22nd before the injury, I liked way more than Ezekiel Tovar in the mm. 18th. Um, Mauricio has already shown a lot more, in my opinion, in the major leagues than Tovar has. Yeah. Uh, and at the very least, you know, he's going to, I thought he was going to have an opportunity and if I have to cut him, I have to cut him, but there's, there's another shot, right. At getting a lot more upside than what Carlos Correa will probably provide. Um, but obviously super unfortunate with the injury. He's young. He'll be back. He'll be fine. But, uh, for 2024, that, that picks a wash. Yeah. I'm really sorry. I'll give you a, uh, post-mortem seal of approval. Um, no. wow. okay. I'll give you that. Cause at the time it was a really nice pick. <laughs> sure. And yeah. like, I actually remember seeing that bank. Ah, oh, yeah, that's a really good one because 22nd round, if he breaks camp with the team, everyone is going to be like, Oh my gosh, 
I can't believe you let him go in the 22nd. And if he doesn't, then he's just on every team. Who cares? 22nd round. And if you can get a guy at this point that everyone would be upset, potentially, if there's a scenario that is somewhat believable that everyone would be upset at you for, do that. Don't get the Sables thing. So, yeah, on the last one here, I want you to tell me about, this is another Red Sox here, Abreu, um, Willier. Uh, I, I hopefully got that one right. Uh, Wilier mm-hmm. or Willier? Willier. You know? Willier. Willier Abreu, yep. Okay. Will you tell me about Willier? <laughs> well done, well done. Um, Thank you. Yeah. There, Such a stretch. <laughs> there was not a lot to be excited about last year at the, the Red Sox, um, but Willier Abreu down the stretch was one of them. Now, He's small frame. Uh, this is this is not a big dude we're talking about here. Uh, he's six feet, one eighty. Uh, but for what it's worth, in the minor leagues, he hit for some power uh, through you know just eighty six games, three hundred sixty three plate appearances. He had twenty two homers at AAA last season, and that carried over. Well, at least the power did a little bit into the major leagues. Uh, Four seventy four slugging. His woba uh, in. Just again, it was it was not a huge sample size, but his what was three seventy five last year through uh, twenty eighty five plate appearances. So he showed us a little something. The strikeout rate might be a little bit of a problem. He was striking out a twenty seven percent clip uh, when he came up, and honestly, it, it wasn't that great in the minor leagues either. Uh, so I, I don't know how much that's going to improve. And like I said, it's not a big frame, but with and obviously the Verdugo trade hadn't happened yet. But with Verdugo out of town, there might be more opportunity to see like was that legit. Uh, he came over with Emmanuel Valdez in that um, Christian Vasquez trade. And it looks like we're going to get more out of the pieces that we got for Christian Vasquez than what we got out of the pieces for Mookie Betts, which is a little bit depressing. Huh. But uh, Willier, there, there should be some opportunity there. And he showed enough last season that here in the last round, why not? Maybe I get yeah. a couple hot weeks out of him in April and and go from there. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, just to talk about the other guys that won the last round, Brendan Donovan, Kenjin Ryu, Brandon Drury. Oralvis Martinez, Matt Walner, Sean Murphy, Mackenzie Gore, Hunter Harvey, Shoei Otani, the reliever, uh, Joe Jimenez, and Francisco Alvarez. I'll be honest. I mean, I like my Matt Walner one, but I sure. I was like, sure, here's a big power guy with bad contact ability. <laughs> um, and uh, Brendan Donovan is an interesting one as well. The jury is underrated. It's just about opportunity and stuff for him. But um. But yeah, I mean, I like this Abreu one as well. This could very much work out for him. Uh, and your teams here, he had uh, 22 home runs in 2023 in AAA uh, in 86 games. So maybe there is something to that. Uh, but that is your team. 23 rounds. You finally made it, Pete. We did it. Yeah, we did it. On a scale of 1 to 23, how would you rate your team? <sighs> uh, not very high. I'll huh. go with a 14. 14. I what were your takeaways really from this draft of how you would attack it if you were in the 10 position again? Okay. Uh I I don't know. I well at the start, like I said, I, I would take Trey Turner and Juan Soto over my combination of Matt Olson and Jose Ramirez, but I, I would totally understand taking either side of that. It's mm-hmm. just I guess it comes down to more preference. Soto, I get an outfielder out of the way, but it was only a three outfield league, so is that as important? I don't know. Yeah. Um I don't I don't love that my third starting pitcher is Zach Eflin. I like Zach Eflin, but I think in a 12-teamer, I want a little bit more 
upside, a little bit more ability for my number three starter. So maybe attacking outfield and attacking starting pitcher a little bit earlier. You know, that window that you brought up between, I think it was around six and nine, or maybe it was six yeah, and ten. There's so that much. does seem like yeah, you want to get going to get at least two out of that those oh, yeah. four rounds, I think. And I ended up with one. I, I just had Eflin. So well, you did um, get Luis Castillo and Glasnow in four and five. To be fair, sure. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to start taking pitchers in round six because mm-hmm. I, I do want at least one, you know, bona fide guy at the top. But uh, it would have been nice to get a couple in that group. Um, and then as you went through it, uh, I mean, doing the really the back half and in many ways, you know, the back half of the draft can, um, you know, I remember this distinctly at, at First Pitch Arizona. There's a whole presentation about how uh, people had success in FBC. And my biggest takeaway was they circled really the 18th through 22nd round in NBC and they hit on all four of them. And I was like, okay, so the biggest lesson is actually finding the value later on that you feel mm-hmm. are the ones that we should be going after there in the second half, or at least strategies for that. So after that, you know, eighth, ninth round or so, what did you see maybe the trends that you're going to see yourself do um, in the back half of the draft? Yeah, back half of the draft for me almost every year is is taking shots, um, mm-hmm. taking shots, especially in in just ten to twelve teams, definitely in ten teams, but in, in twelve teams as well. I think this is where format really matters, uh, and I don't I don't even mean so much head to head versus roto. Uh, I mean roster construction, where you know outfield is the thinnest position, but there's just three spots. So if I feel confident enough that like all right. The one outfielder I'm worried about, it's not Reynolds, it's certainly not a Rosarena, is Tay Oscar. Then I'm going to take some shots at outfield like Duran, like sure. William Abreu. Um, and, and I think that's the spot. I, I I would give this advice probably any season. I don't know if it's specific to this one where I'm I'm taking shots in the second half. Yeah. Of the draft. Is there, are there other guys that weren't on your team that you look at? Like, cool. Those are some of the players that I'm going to be circling for the second half of my draft. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, Imanaga, after what you said, um, is definitely someone that 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 sticks out to me. Um, a lot of the names that went in the, that range of like eighteen to twenty three. I mean, which is probably the case in most drafts, are not guys that I'm terribly interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the early second half of drafts, I think attacking those positions that I'm worried I'm not going to be as strong in, like I did with shortstop. Um, that might be the move in terms of specific names though, man, I'm, I'm like scanning the board. Right I know now. there aren't many. And this, this is actually something I, I, I did in my retrospective a bit was after pick SP 50 last year, there were maybe three guys. I think it was steel Evaldi and Eflin who actually were, if you drafted them, you were happy with, and that's it. You know, other ones, they had to do something later in the year to be picked up uh, or mm-hmm. they had to be called up or so you would have to have stashed them. Right. But, that's it for like after 50 and we're looking at these we see like severino and we see detmers and we see trevor rogers and connor phillips and bryce elder and ashcraft it's like yeah i'm good <laughs> yeah you know, i mean kenzo made it for me i'm like cool that's a fun one because i'll see right out of the gate like how he's doing with the dot with the tigers paxton the same thing as like he's going to sign somewhere if he's healthy you know it as a red Sox fan he was really good for the first like 10 12 starts and then it yeah. fell off right but i uh, yeah i'm trying to figure out who the ones i'm circling here are uh, Mitch Keller, I mean, well, that was insane in the 21st round. And I, I actually gone back on the Mitch Keller train personally. But I, but yeah, this is going to be I was part gonna of the say Keller. process. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah. Uh, Cutter Cro- Cut, I, I was going to hmm. say Keller just because of that category of over 200 yeah. strikeouts, over 190 innings. He was actually in that. Cutter Crawford's another one that I kind of like. He's older than people think. Um, but he's he showed a lot last season. And I think with the current state of this rotation, like he's got to get a chance. We, we've we've seen enough with with Hauk and Whitlock. I think 
bullpen at this point. But Cutter Crawford, I thought, showed enough as a starter where uh, I'm a little intrigued there. I wouldn't mind taking a shot. Absolutely. All right. So that is going to do it for this episode of On the Corner, this mock draft with Pete Ball. Pete, before we go, remind everybody where they can find you and uh, what you do here at PitcherList. Sure. Yeah. I uh, co-host the Keep or Cut podcast with Chad Young. You can follow me on X at at Pete B. Baseball. Say that one more time on Twitter. It's not X. (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter, which, by the way, it's still technically Twitter.com. That hasn't changed. I know. um, You can follow me on (laughs) Twitter.com at Pete. Pete B baseball. You can follow the show at, at keeper cut. Um, and we're pretty much putting out episodes every other week until the uh, season gets started here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much Pete for joining us today. Um, and that is it for this episode of on the corner. My name is Nick Pollock and we'll talk to you guys next week.